0: Number 2 of The Heart of a Mystery by L.T. Mead and Robert Eustace. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Little Smoke, Part 1. Looking back on my startling experience, I came to the conclusion that in the whole of England there were probably very few men in a stranger position than I, Rupert Finace, when, on a certain dull February morning, I found myself— after my brief visit to Paris, once more back in London. In that visit all my life had been changed. I had gone to Paris to see my greatest friend, who, in struggling to tell me a terrible and important secret, had died. Agents of the French Secret Service believed me to be in possession of this great secret, and in consequence my life was in danger. Such was the state of affairs. Already I had been within an ace of being hurled into eternity— What further dangers were in store for me, it was impossible to tell. When I arrived at my comfortable rooms in Half Moon Street, I owned to a momentary sensation of relief, but this was of short duration. My fears with regard to the future quickly returned, and I determined to put the whole matter before my lawyer, Mr. Charles Tempest of Lincoln's Inn Fields, and take his advice. I called on Tempest soon after breakfast, he was within and saw me almost immediately. I told him of the curious position in which I found myself, and I could see that at first he was almost unable to take my communication seriously. It was not until I had driven home fact after fact that he assumed his normal professional attitude. "'Now for your advice, sir,' I said. "'I do not know anyone in such a deplorable position as I find myself in.' All the British government and Scotland Yard combined cannot prevent my assassination by desperadoes. Is it likely that the persecution will be continued? It is certainly possible, replied Tempest. The attempt already made on your life is sufficient to show you that these people are in earnest. Your position is, I take it, this you are supposed by the agents of the French Secret Service to be in possession of a great secret, and nothing you can say will convince them to the contrary. That is so. In reality, you have no secret whatever? Precisely. It is the lady you call Mademoiselle Delacorte whom you principally fear? Yes. You believe that she is one of the agents of the French Secret Service? Yes. There is little doubt that you are in danger, continued Tempest. The issues you see are considerable. They are international, and lives are cheap when these things hang in the balance. Well, you have two courses open to you, One, to take no notice at all and go on with your usual life. The other, to disappear. The first offers the greatest danger to yourself, and the second may seem a trifle cowardly, but in your position and circumstances, I should quietly drop out of sight. Go to some remote part of Europe, amuse yourself with your favorite occupation, sketching, and wait there until the thing blows over. I do not like the idea, I answered. I should be, to all intents and purposes, a sort of escaped criminal, Except that in my case, the situation would be reversed, for the criminals would be hunting down the innocent man. Thank you for your advice, Tempest. But at present, I like neither alternative which you have suggested, and yet I have no third plan to propose for myself. Is it possible that the law can do nothing to help me? Nothing. Yours is probably a unique situation in the annals of circumstance. I could not help sighing in self pity. I am only five and twenty, I said. "'and at any moment my life may be taken by some low brute. "'I pity you, my dear fellow, but what is to be done? "'I am like a man in a nightmare,' I answered. "'The whole thing is horrible. "'Take my advice, Vinace, and leave England. "'I can watch your case in this country "'and will employ a good detective for the purpose. "'Now think over what I have been saying, "'and let me know when you have made your plans.' "'I left Tempest's office in profound depression.' It was something, at any rate, to know the exact, crude, legal opinion of my position, which briefly amounted to this. I was liable, at any moment, to be assassinated. Piccadilly and Pall Mall looked bright and cheerful as usual, but as I passed through the familiar crowd I shuddered more than once. My assassin might turn up at any corner. He might lay his hand on me at any moment, anywhere. The thought was enough to upset the stoutest nerves. I entered my club, ordered lunch, and sat down to eat. I had barely begun when I heard a voice behind me exclaim, "'My dear Finesse!' A hand was laid on my shoulder. I swung round. Before me stood my old friend, Jack Tracy, whom I had not seen for nearly four years. He was a civil engineer and had been abroad for some time, in Ceylon, laying some electric tramways. "'Just the very man I want!' he cried. I got home last week and found another billet waiting for me. This time it is in Portugal. I am looking out for a mate to come with me. I know that you are a lazy sort of dog, also that you have nothing special to do. Will you come? Lovely climate, beautiful scenery, and lots for you to paint, for my work will be in Sintra, about the most lovely spot in Europe. Just the place for you to sketch in. The Portuguese government are going to run a new road alongside one of the mountains, and the work has been given to our firm to the honor and glory of Cooper's Hill. Just lunching? I will join you. I'm as ravenous as a hawk. He took a seat at my table. His bronzed, honest face and breezy heartiness cheered me, and I was genuinely glad to see him again. "'When do you want to start?' I asked. "'The day after tomorrow. Is that too early for you? If you really make up your mind to come, I dare say I can put off for a day or two to suit you. Give me a little time to consider, my dear fellow.' I never saw such a chap as you, always just the same, bursting with energy, enthusiasm, and impatience. I do not care what you call me, provided you come, Finaise. I want a mate, and you and I have always got on well together. Now make up your mind and be sensible. I finished my lunch without further remark, but while I ate my thoughts were busy. Here, indeed, was a chance. Why should I not go? I should have just the companion I liked best. I should escape the east winds of the spring and have a good excuse for that flitting which Tempest had advised me to undertake. As we chatted and talked together, Tracy recounted all his experiences, and while I listened to him, I made up my mind. Yes, I would leave England the day after tomorrow, and, taking the royal mail to Lisbon, escape from my persecutors. They surely would not follow me into Portugal. It had always been one of my greatest wishes to see Sintra, and here was the opportunity. Two hours later I once more reached Tempest's office, and there told him that I had made my plans. The way of escape has come, and I have not sought for it, I remarked. Such an opportunity ought not to be missed. It is the very thing, he replied, and I am heartily glad for your stake, Phinace. But now I will tell you what we had better do. It is most important that you and I should keep up a certain communication, one with the other. I have already put a detective on your affairs. He is a capital fellow and will watch things from this side of the water. By tonight's post I will send you a key of a private cipher in which I can communicate with you if important news reaches me. I agreed to this and went back to my rooms to make necessary arrangements for my departure. I had just settled down after dinner to write some letters when my servant entered. A lady to see you, sir, he said, handing me a card. I stared in surprise. What woman, unless indeed the terrible Mademoiselle Delacorte, took the slightest interest in me. I had neither mother nor sister, neither wife nor sweetheart. I glanced at the card which the man had given to me. The name I saw written upon it dispelled all thought of Mademoiselle. Miss Cecil Hamilton was a lady I had never heard of before. Show Miss Hamilton in, I said. The next moment a slightly built girl, with a dark face and beautiful eyes, entered the room. I rose and bowed. She bowed also to me. There was a deprecating, almost frightened look about her whole appearance, which disarmed my anger. "'I am speaking to Mr. Finnais,' she said in a tentative voice. "'Yes,' I answered. "'Will you sit down?' I pushed a chair towards her, but she did not take it. She continued to stand, laying one slender hand lightly on the back of the chair. "'I have much to apologize for,' she said. My errand is distasteful and unpleasant. I am the bearer of a message from a lady, Mademoiselle de la Corte, whom you met in Paris. I do not wish to have any further communication with that lady, I interrupted, speaking hotly. She held up her hand, as if to entreat my patience. I must deliver my message, she said. I am Miss de la greatest friend. I am an English girl by birth, but have spent most of my life in Paris. "'In order to prove my identity, it will be sufficient for me to say "'that I am fully acquainted with your position "'as regards the secret entrusted to you by your late friend Mr. Escott "'and which secret should have been given to Mademoiselle de "'Here she stopped speaking and looked earnestly at me. "'Her eyes were kindly and compassionate. "'Her lips slightly trembled. "'I am sorry for you,' she said. "'You are so young.' and unless you accede to my request, your fate is so terrible. I can do without your pity, Miss Hamilton, I answered. Please tell me at once why Mademoiselle has presumed to send you to visit me. Because she also is sorry for you, Mr. Finesse. Because it has occurred to us both that, although you have already refused to put yourself into a position of safety, yet on mature consideration you will be willing to discharge your duty to your friend's memory and so act as a man of honor. It was with difficulty I could restrain a burst of indignation. Mademoiselle wishes you to communicate your secret to me. Will you do so? I will not, I replied. Forgive me if I speak frankly, but you have intruded on me in what I consider an unwarrantable manner, and this is no moment for courtesy. Tell Mademoiselle that I possess no secret, and am therefore incapable of communicating what I do not know. Tell her also that I could, if necessary, "'Throw light on a recent occurrence in the neighborhood of Paris, "'which would be by no means to her credit. "'Tell her further that at any instant "'I could put her within the arm of the law. "'And finally, tell her that there is a law in England, "'if not in France, "'in which redress can be claimed for personal annoyance. "'At these words, to my amazement and distress, "'the girl fell on her knees. "'It is for your sake, believe me. "'It is for your sake,' she pleaded. I can understand your indignation and forgive it. Please reconsider things. You will regret this, oh, terribly, if you do not. Please change your mind. Do you think I like forcing myself upon you? I beg of you to tell me your secret, because I have your true interest at heart. It is unpleasant to be rude to a lady, I replied. But I must ask you, Miss Hamilton, to leave me. I have one answer to give to Mademoiselle, and that is an emphatic no.' I have no secret, and if I had, she is the last person on earth to whom I would tell it. As I spoke, I rang the bell. My servant entered. Show this lady downstairs, I said. She left me without a word. After she had gone, I sent a line to Tempest to acquaint him with my interview. I received the following reply. Do nothing but get away, were his brief and emphatic words. All the next day I was busy packing and settling my affairs, and the following morning, at eight o'clock, Tracy and I, with my large Newfoundland dog Zulu, had left Charing Cross en route for Portugal. It was only at the last moment that I decided to take Zulu with me. He was a splendid animal and had been my constant companion since his puppyhood. Our journey to Sintra took place without any adventure, and when we had put up at Lawrence's comfortable hotel, I congratulated myself on having left England and France so far behind. I surely must be safe in this remote corner of the world. It was therefore with an elation of heart that I received my first impressions of the charming spot where Tracy's work lay. The little village was situated close to the base of a range of granite mountains, the extreme continuation of the Estrella. The mountains were clothed with verdure and trees of every variety and size. Towering above us on twin peaks stood an old ruined Moorish castle and the new royal castle of the Pinha. We arrived at Sintra about midday, and immediately after lunch we started out to climb to the Moorish castle in company with the Portuguese overseer, who was anxious to show Tracy the site of the projected new road. While they were talking business, I had time to take in the romantic loveliness and exquisite richness of the colouring around me the trees were just budding birds were singing and the air was full of the sweet scent of heliotrope that hung in clusters on the walls of the quintas as we climbed past them i felt light-hearted as i had not been since my terrible adventure in paris i saw before me months of undisturbed enjoyment painting among these enchanting hills and dales for surely The most inveterate enemy would scarcely follow an inoffensive and innocent man to this remote part of Portugal. I recall my sensations on this first day very vividly because of the darker recollections which were so soon to follow. The next morning, Tracy and I started off again to the site of his work. Already, some Portuguese laborers were busy clearing timber and blasting rocks. The latter operation interested me considerably— a deep hole was drilled into the center of a boulder. Into this a handful of dynamite was poured, then a little moss was pushed in on the top and the fuse inserted. After it was lit, we scrambled away to a safe spot. In a couple of minutes a terrific roar rent the air, and the great granite boulder lay split into half a dozen fragments. I had spent over a week at Lawrence's hotel, and a picture which I was painting was in full progress my life was happy, my days fully occupied, when one evening, at a single blow, all sense of security was shattered. End of number two, part one.